If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. It should be marked with the 23rd Psalm. Many of you probably say, hey, I don't need to turn that. I think I know that one, right? 23rd Psalm. I have not taught on the 23rd Psalm in a long time. But I've read it many times. And I tell you what, it is one of those psalms that in your lifetime, if you've been through crisis, it's sometimes it's one you need to quote every now and then, isn't it? It's a great psalm. But we want to look at it from, a, I think, a little different perspective here this morning. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. We'll put one in your hand. And if you want to keep it, you can even keep it. We're not trying to hold on to these things. 23rd Psalm. I'm going to read just part of verse 1. This is going to be the shortest passage I've ever read. Now we're going to go through it, but I'm going to read just one part, and then we're going to pray. Psalm 23. If your Bibles are open, the Lord is my shepherd. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this time this morning. These words, Lord, can transform a life, can transform a heart. And Lord, I pray that by your spirit, it would have a transformative power here this morning. We ask, Lord, that you would drive everything out of this room, every fear, every doubt, every distraction, everything that would keep us from hearing from you. And Lord, nobody would really hear from me, but they would hear from you exactly what each hearer and each heart needs. And we ask these things in the precious and mighty name of Jesus. Amen. These five words... The Lord is my shepherd. Just five words are the anchor to everything we'll look at this morning. If these five words are true in our life, God's going to do wonders in our life. Did you hear me? If these five words are really true in our life, God's going to do wonders in our life and in those we touch. Because life is not lived in a vacuum. We touch other people. Whether we like it or not, we touch other people. And that alone, though, if these words are true in our, life, in our life, that should encourage us. The Lord is my shepherd. Just those words should encourage your soul, should encourage you that God will be for us. Now, when I think about being a dad, and there's a lot of dads in here. Raise your hand if you are a dad. Let's see how many dads we have in here. And by the way, last, year when I meant, last week when I mentioned shorts, I was not admonishing. I was complimenting that your liberty in Christ, you can wear shorts today. It's not as hot. But all these dads that raise their hand, sometimes they need to wear shorts because the heat of life can get to you, right? <laughs> Being a dad isn't easy. If it was easy, I don't think so many men around the world would run from the job. Did you hear me? If it was easy, I don't think so many people would run from it, run from the responsibility. It's not easy. It's not easy to provide. It's not easy to work hard to provide. It's not easy to plan. How many hate planning? But you still have to. There has to be a plan. It's not easy to maintain. It's not easy to fix things. I especially know it's not easy to fix things. I tried for a week to fix my mower. Scott Welch came over and fixed it in two minutes. <laughs> I'm not kidding about this. I was thoroughly discouraged. I spent the day trying to recover from that. <laughs> it's not easy to replace things or to make time for important moments when so many things are competing for our time, right? To make time for what's important isn't easy because there's a lot of things competing, just in our mind alone, much less our time. It's not easy to die to ourselves, is it, for things that really matter 
and the lives of our children, the lives of our family. A lot of dads won't die to themselves, so everyone else in the family suffers. It's not easy to fight through fatigue, is it? Not easy to go to church when you're tired. Not easy to pray when you're tired. Not easy to read a Bible when you're tired. Not easy to go to work when you're tired. Not easy to overcome setbacks and failures. Not fun to overcome setbacks and failures. It's not easy to correct. Not easy to recorrect, correct again. How many times am I going to have to correct this one thing? If you're a parent, you can say, surely number 1,433 is going to have finally stick, right? And yet you'll do it again. No, nobody ever said it was easy. By the way, mom's job isn't easy either. We talked about this on Mother's Day. As a matter of fact, I fully admit some of mom's job is harder than dad's job. I, some of it. But neither are easier. God would have given one person all the role. But it's, not, it's too big a job for both. So God's delegated certain aspects. But although the task and the role of being a father is a big challenge, I think most of you dads would agree that you've stuck it out. It's worth it, isn't it? And you'll really think it's worth it on that wedding day. You'll really think it's worth it when you have those first grandkids. You'll really think it's worth it down the road when you have great grandkids. It's, you'll really think it's worth it when you see your kids follow Christ. We get those moments where it becomes really obvious that it's worth it, those special moments. And then in those moments, we wonder how we ever got sidetracked prior to that. Why did we think this was important? I've never heard dads that were dying say, man, I wish right now I could be golfing. No, they say something about, where's my kids? Where's my family? Not, nothing wrong with those other things. I'm glad the U.S. opens on Father's Day because I can watch the fourth round later today. That was not in my notes. I don't know where that came from. <laughs> There's nothing spiritual about that statement whatsoever. But if you believe the Word of God, you know it's all worth it. You know it's all worth it to pour in uh, to this role. You know that we have help with the role because God designed the role. You know, if God designed it, He can help us with it. Anything that, if you, if you come into a problem and you say, you meet the designer and the designer says, I, I actually engineered this. I'll tell you exactly how it works. We have the help of God. In fact, we call Him Father. We call him Father. Everyone in this room that's born again calls him Father. And God, he loves the role of fatherhood, and he bestows that role on men. But I will say, again, if, you, if you're a single mom here today, sometimes in our day and age, and not just now, I mean, there's been widows uh, down through the ages, or uh, maybe, we, like we talked about on Father's Day, a dad that might have to do mom's job because the mother has passed away. Some of you might have to, if you're a single mom, you have to get from God some of that fatherly instinct and wisdom. And God's big enough to help there too, isn't he? He can help. Again, he's the father to the fatherless. So there's no one that he can't bestow the wisdom, the help, the strength, all the necessary elements to be the father or at least to be that father figure that someone needs. Now, at the same time, God can give us what we need, but he knows, whether we realize it or not, that the role is too big for us. Do you know God gives us? You know, when he says, go into all the world, we talked about this Thursday night. When God says, go into all the world and reach the gospel, preach the gospel to every creature, do you realize that job is too big for us? 
have you ever thought about how many people are on planet Earth? We can hardly reach everyone in Richmond, much less a billion in China, a billion in India, all the continent of Africa, South Africa, um, all the continent of South America, Europe, Australia. You look around the world and you say, wow, Lord, to think about it is mind-bending. Well, at a lesser, to a lesser degree, just the role of fatherhood is too big for us. And yet, it's not too big for God. And he will help us accomplish his eternal plans if we submit to his help and his guidance. But he also promises and provides in the word everything we need to get beyond ourselves, to go beyond ourselves, to get the job done. And just like we desperately need a savior, you, can't, you cannot be saved unless Jesus did what he did on the cross and rose from the dead. We desperately need a Savior. There's no salvation without Jesus. We also desperately need a shepherd. You know those are two different roles within Jesus, right? Savior, well, that cleanses and, and gives us redemption. But shepherd, well, that takes place after we've come to salvation. Now we needed a Savior to come into that relationship, but now we need a shepherd as we maintain that relationship. In fact, if Jesus really is your Savior... He will become your shepherd. I'll say that again. If Jesus really is your Savior, He will become your shepherd. He said that His sheep hear His voice, and they know Him. All of His sheep hear His voice. You see, our kids need us. Our families need us. But dads, we need someone too, don't we? They need us, but we need someone. We need someone to take us through life. And it's not your employer. Your employer could be sold tomorrow. Your employer could be working all this weekend on a negotiation. You didn't even know about it. It's happened thousands of times. Your employer could downsize. Your employer could go bankrupt. Your boss could actually be interviewing all this week for another job who you were holding your anchor to, and he could leave the company in a New York minute company could move to another place. All these things could happen. Now, I'm not saying this to worry or scare. I'm just simply saying we're not to put our trust in anything except for the good shepherd. It's not our peers. Our peers can't lead us through life. It's good to have godly peers, but they have the same limitations and flaws we do, right? So they really can't lead us through life. It's been well said, though. So if dad's need someone to lead them, it makes sense that there has to be someone bigger than us, wiser than us, more able than us. It's been well said that great leaders are first great followers. That's true. Great leaders are great followers. And any five-star general at one time had to follow before they ever got to that position. And Jesus said, follow him. Every dad needs a shepherd. Every dad needs Jesus as his shepherd. The good shepherd is the only one that can navigate this world and life and help us fulfill everything God purposed for us and our families. In John 10, 11, Jesus said these words, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. Isn't that great? Jesus said, I'm not just going to you know, make a little bit of a sacrifice on your behalf. He goes, I'm going to give my entire self for you to ensure that you can actually make it. Christ has given his life as a guarantee, his life as a guarantee 
of God's definition of success in our life. Again, God's definition of success. We, we try and define it based on this world. We'll stop being the dads he's called us to be. His success by the world standard is not the same as the designer of this role. In this well-known psalm that we're going to look at, I'm just going to go briefly through it this morning. This well-known psalm, it's great for dads, but good news if you're not a dad, if you say, hey, uh, I'm not even a dude, uh, I'm a lady, so um, I'm much less a dad. This psalm is for everybody. I want to speak to the dads, but I hope that those of you that are women or mothers or, or teens or, or what have you, uh, you'll be able to apply these same things uh, to yourself. We want to look right, just want to go verse by verse right through the 23rd Psalm. And the first one, in verse 1, the Lord is my shepherd. These five words are the anchor. If the Lord's not your shepherd, the rest of the Psalm doesn't apply. Does that make sense? The 23rd Psalm is predicated on the first five words. If the Lord is your shepherd, all of this will apply. If the Lord's not your shepherd, it cannot apply. I hope that we all will apply that he would be our shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Well, the good news is in our country, everyone is completely satisfied and content, right? Well, that wouldn't be the case, would it? Hardly in this, in this room, we all have our own issues uh, with contentment, which is the first thing we want to look at. For dads, it's going to be really important for dads to be content. Hard to be content. Our flesh fights against contentment. But a relationship with Jesus will eventually diffuse, I'll say it again, a relationship with Jesus will eventually diffuse all of our cravings. We have cravings for things that don't matter. We have craving things that, that might be important, but they're not as important as what God's priorities. As Jesus said, seek ye first the kingdom of God, and the rest of the things will be added. We get it reversed. We seek everything else, and if we have room at the bottom of the list, we'll fit God in. And when that is the order, we will, we will always be covetous or craving or lacking contentment. But the longer we invest in this relationship, remember the first five words, then comes these, the Lord is my shepherd. Very next word, I shall not want. If the Lord is your shepherd, you're walking with Jesus, it's impossible to be discontented when you are walking in harmony with Jesus. Every time that we are discontent, we can know at that moment we've come out of harmony, right? We've taken our eye. Remember when Peter's walking on water? Why was he on walking on water? He was, in per he, he, him and he was tracking right with Jesus. As soon as he took his eyes off Jesus, what happened? He sinks. Same way with contentment. Contentment's kind of like walking on water with the Lord. You're content because you're just talking with Jesus. You say, hey, Jesus, I want to take about a week off. I'll talk to you later. Your contentment will drop like a rock. You'll look at everything. Why do they have this? Why do I have this? I want this. I do want. I do want. Not that I don't want. I want. I want. I want. 1 Timothy 6.6, 6, this a passage that me and my wife have been talking about a lot um, in the last year. Now, godliness with contentment is great gain. Think about that. Great gain. Godliness with contentment. Paul was never, Paul could stand in front of the kings of Rome, and he did, and he was not jealous of all the stuff they had. He had more ability. He spoke multiple languages. We, we think at least five, maybe six. Some have said even more languages than that. 
He had all this gifting, and highly intelligent, and he couldn't care less if he was running into Festus or Agrippa, and they were like, hey, we're multimillionaires, all this stuff. And Paul's like, I don't care. Uh, i got a mansion in heaven that's going to dwarf what you have. i got a relationship with Jesus that provides peace. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Men, fathers, walk with Jesus and your contentment will grow. Shakespeare said this. He said my, in one of his plays, my crown is my heart. My crown is in my heart, not in my head. My crown called contempt, a crown that is seldom king's enjoy. A crown, he said, that contentment is something that kings seldom enjoy. You'd say, well, if you have everything, you would be content. And Shakespeare was like, no, no, no. Even with all the stuff, there's no contentment. He goes on, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. It's an interesting uh, next phrase here. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. Men, God has to make us lay down at times. He's got to teach us how to rest. He's got to teach us how to lay things down. This is Jesus speaking, by the way. This is the whole picture of Jesus speaking, and this isn't just for men. You know, women here, you've you got to learn how to rest in the Lord too. We all have to learn how to rest in Him and to take a rest. For our own good, God will say, at the right time and the right place, it's time to rest. I've said it before. I can't even remember which, whether it was Spurgeon or um, that one of the most spiritual things you can do at times is rest. One of the most spiritual things you can do is rest because we're resting to recover to go back out and serve Jesus. Our resting is not to take a permanent chillax. It is a rest to recover to go back out. Think of it like this. Do you want the pilot of the airplane to be well-rested that you are flying in? Would you prefer that the pilot has adequate sleep? Or would you say, hey, hey, if you're doing your job, you should work 12 days a week, 24 hours a day? No. You would like that transatlantic flight, the pilot to be well-rested, and actually have some sort of rest rotation there, right? You would want your surgeon to be well-rested, if at all possible, right? Because that rest ensures that they're going to do a better job. Well, this is what God does. He, he makes us to lie down so we're refreshed to go back out. Psalm 46.10, be still and know that I am God. Until you just sometimes, and we are just still, we can't get that rest. Jesus said to come to me, all you are weary, and I will give you what? Rest. Some people are leery too, but, uh, but weary. I'll give you rest. God doesn't want us to be workaholics or playaholics. You ever heard the, I work hard, play hard. Where's rest in that statement? Right? Work hard, play hard. This is the American philosophy. They actually have mistaken play for rest. They are not the same. Do you understand this, right? Rest is not play. Rest comes from the Lord. Play is fun. Play is good. Laughter is good. It's good for the soul. But rest is a different ingredient that only Jesus says, hey, you need to rest. You need to still know that I'm God. When we're rest and refreshed, we're better to be used for his seat, uh, service. God says, he's not saying to have a life of leisure and luxury. It says, 
I shall not want. He maketh me to rest. But that's not a permanent condition. How do we know? Because the rest of the 23rd Psalm tells us. Let's go forward. We know the rest of it is not just laying there in the grass. Guidance is next. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. By the way, only Jesus knows where the still waters are. You and I will find the wrong waters left to our own devices. He'll lead us beside the still waters. As long as we're alive, we're going to need the Lord's continual guidance. Any dad disagree with this? We're going to need his guidance. We'll say, I have enough experience now that I don't need to pray about anything anymore. Got it all figured out. No, we don't have all the facts. We don't have all the things that, that, are, uh, that God can see from his perspective. In Psalm 119, 105, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my what? Path. By the way, that path is only illuminated just in front of us. It doesn't say it's a light all the way down the road. And so in Proverbs 3, 5, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not unto your own understanding. Day after day, as you walk on that path, you only get the light to your feet. You only get the light a little bit further, a little bit further. The wisdom that I need for next year is still going to be from, it's still going to be from God, but it might be a totally different set of circumstances. It might be a path I've never been down before. It might be a path you've never been down before. Life experience, intellect, problem-solving skills and abilities, which, by the way, if you have any or all of those, those all are a gift from God. You can say thanks for that. I mean, it's good that he gives us these things, and we are to use them, but they aren't enough. Paul had all of that, but he said what? Pray without ceasing. Hey, Paul, you shouldn't need to pray. You, you, you've, wrote, you've wrote enough epistles now. You speak all these languages. You have all this ability. You should, you should have all that covered now. No, all of those other things are exercised correctly in prayer. In other words, those abilities are actually much more functionally valuable through prayer. And every new situation needs new light and new guidance. As our church grows, I can't count on what I prayed and received two years ago. We've got to keep praying, keep pressing in, and God continuing to give guidance for the next turn, the next turn. It's, called, it's almost like one of those mazes. You don't know where the next turn is in life. Each situation... We need this new light. We need to pray through everything. We need to pray more as we grow in life. We need to pray more. I said more as we grow in life. It's not like, well, the longer I'm saved, I pray less. And that seems to be happening in a lot of people's Christian life. And that shouldn't be the case. The longer we're saved, we pray more. Growing means we become more dependent on Jesus. As you grow in faith, you become more dependent on the Lord, more dependent on him leading us beside still waters, more dependent on the Holy Spirit. Let's take a look at the next one. Refreshing. Anyone ever need refreshing? Just a big glass of iced tea, right? But you need refreshing in life. He says next, he restores my soul. He restores my soul. It's been said that men, often in the middle years, those, you've heard of the term midlife crisis. It's been said that, these, that a lot of times men in the middle years, they'll either go into a rut or renewal. Rut or renewal. By the way, God doesn't want any of us to go into a rut. He wants all of us to be renewed. 
perpetually renewed, not just in midlife, but throughout life. It's kind of like God looks at us sometimes when, when David says here, he restores my soul. Do you think David ever had a heart for God? Yeah, he was called a man after God's own heart. But David is stating here that he sometimes needs a reset. I don't know about anyone in this room, but I can guarantee you everyone in this room sometimes needs a reset. You ever had to reboot your laptop no matter what you do, and finally you say, I'm pulling the power. If there's eight ways to pull the power, I'm going to do it. And then it comes back on, it works like a charm again. God has to restore. He has to give us a reset of sorts. This isn't always the case, but it can happen. I mean, it's not always the case that it happens in the middle of your life. You could need a reset when you're 22, 32, 52, 82. You can need your soul restored. Happens at various seasons of life. Happens with men. Happens with women. But there are times that we need just spiritual renewal because we feel dry. We feel almost kind of dead inside. And we need the Lord to refresh. David is, is being very honest here. By the way, a lot of times people aren't honest. You ask people how they're doing, say, I'm doing great. They're not doing great. They might tell you they're doing great, but if you could see uh, the rest of their mind and the rest of their life, they're not doing so great. They need their souls restored. He restores my soul. And you may need spiritual renewal, but Jesus is willing to say, I'll refresh you today. They don't have to wait to, well, I, I, got, I guess I've got to wait this out. No, he'll restore and refresh today. Next up. He leads me in the paths of righteousness. He leads me in the paths of righteousness. Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for what? Righteousness. Just like I said earlier, we couldn't, I, I, I can't conjure up for myself a burden for souls and a boldness for souls. I have to pray and say, God, give me a burden and give me a boldness. By the way, those are the kind of prayer requests God loves to answer. Give me a Ferrari <laughs> is rarely one that he is saying, I was hoping you'd pray that, <laughs> right? But if you start praying, Lord, give me a burden for souls and a uh, boldness for souls, well, that's one he'll, he'll answer. If you say, Lord, give me a desire to be righteous. Right now, I don't even desire to be righteous. The only thing I desire is the sports page. The only thing I desire is my smartphone. The only thing I desire is a promotion. The only thing I desire is me time. Now, that's being honest with God. Just say, Lord, this is where I'm at. This is all I care about. Because God already knows. God would say, well, finally, we're talking now. We're getting real. You're telling me what I already know. That's looking in the mirror of God's word. And by the way, I have those conversations with God. I say, Lord, right now I just don't care but I want to care. And God says, now you're thirsting for it. And when you thirst for righteousness, I will give it to you. But if you don't care, I'm going to leave you to your own devices. Hunger and thirst. He uh, leads me in paths of righteousness. We have to hunger and thirst for that righteousness. But if we pray for it, God, those are the prayer requests and answer. Just like if you say, God, I want to start to be a godly influence in my family. That's a prayer he'll answer. God, I want to start to teach my wife and children the word. That's a prayer he'll answer. God, I want a $1 million home. We've veered off course again. <laughs> right? 
But you can get in the flesh in just a moment. But you have to be able to recognize, this is me speaking, this is the Word of God speaking. The way you pray righteous thoughts is you read righteous things. The way you read righteous things is in the Word of God. Next thing. What does he say? He leads me in paths of righteousness. For what? For his name's sake. It's not about us. Life isn't about us. Did you, you, know, you know how we can know this is true? Most of you today have not once, well, Father's Day may be an exception because you may be thinking of a, a father or grandfather that passed away. But most people, most days, you're not thinking about any of the tombstones that are in downtown Richmond. Why? They don't mean anything to you. You don't even know who they are. They lived back in the 1800s. Who cares what happened in the 1800s? I care about what's happening today. But God is not bound by time. He cares about all people. Why? Because his name is glorified in every generation and will be for all eternity. Everything we do is for his name's sake. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy what? That prayer we didn't come up with. Jesus came up. He said, everything you do in life will be for the glory of God. That's why we're created. We were... The reason why people can't find peace is because they don't realize that they were created for God's glory and his name's sake. It's all about his glory. Psalm 79, 13. So we, your people, and the sheep of your pasture, we will give you thanks forever. We will show forth your praise to all generations. We were worshiping. Wasn't it great to see these young kids up here uh, worshiping today? Wasn't that great? Three teens up here. But it's not about the team. It's not about the team. It's not about me preaching. It's about Jesus. It's for his glory. When we get to heaven, you're going to throw your crowns at his feet. You won't say, well, I want to keep this. I worked really hard for this. You'll say, it's for your glory. We were created to praise the name of the Lord. You know, we have to get in the practice. There's times where I don't feel like praising God's name at all. I, I don't even know why. I just don't feel like it. And I just start praising his name anyway. I start saying scriptures that I know praise his name. Do you know after a few minutes I start wanting to praise his name? Because that's how I was designed. It's deep within our soul. God says, this is what you were designed to do. We do it for his name's sake. We're not trying to be righteous to impress our neighbors. We're not trying to say, hey, look at me, the great Pharisee. We're doing it so his name is glorified. Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men to myself. If his name is lifted up. The next is courage. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. In Joshua 1 9, you guys remember Joshua? He succeeded Moses. Moses gave the mantle to Joshua. Joshua then led the children of Israel into the promised land, defeated uh, the nations that were there. And Joshua said this in, in Joshua chapter 1, verse 9 Have I not commanded you? Be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid nor dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Isn't it great to know God is with us anywhere we go? We've got a team that's going to El Salvador in less than a month. Everybody has their own little areas of intimidation. But God will be with us in El Salvador. The team that goes to Guatemala in, in August, God will be with. We have a team that is already thinking about Uganda. God will be with them then. When you go to Bonaire, God's with when you, when you go to your job, God will be with you. When you're on I-95, and what a blast that is at this time of year, God will be with you there, right? Don't even mess with it on a Sunday, by the way. Just, just take the scenic route. You know, you'll, you'll enjoy the process. It's a lot better that way. But 
But I can't count how many times, Joshua 1, I can't count how many times in my life I've quoted this verse, this verse or others like it. Because, Lord, I need courage. I have to quote verses. Courage comes from God. It doesn't come from a can or a bottle. That's just stupidity. Courage comes from the Lord. We need courage to go forward in life. We need it in various situations. We need it in new and unfamiliar territory. We need it with new steps of faith. And we're not nearly as bold and courageous as our Facebook seems to indicate we are. (laughs) We're not near as bold and courageous as other people portray us to be, and our spouse would be the first to say, I can amen that. Uh, He's not the bold, courageous guy you think he is. We're not as bold and courageous as we portray ourselves to be. And God knows. There was a party aboard a ship. Listen to this party aboard a ship was in full swing. Speeches were being made by the captain and the crew. And the guests were all enjoying the week-long voyage. Sitting at the head table was a 70-year-old man, somewhat embarrassed, but he was doing his best to accept the praise being poured out on him. Earlier that morning, a young woman had apparently fallen overboard. And within seconds, this elderly gentleman was in the cold, dark waters at her side. The woman was rescued, and the elderly man became an instant hero. When time finally came for the brave pastor to speak, the stateroom fell into a hush as he rose from his chair. He went to the microphone, and what was probably the shortest hero's speech ever offered, he spoke these stirring words. I just want to know one thing. Who pushed me? (laughs) Man... Fathers, (laughs) when we're heroes, we have courage. It's usually because Jesus pushed us. I can promise you everything I've ever done of any boldness of faith, God has literally kicked me out of the boat. Jesus pushes us spiritually beyond where we would go. Women too, he's going to push you beyond your comfort zone. You'll be in the cold, dark waters, not because you dove in because he put you there, because that lady, the young woman, does need to be rescued. And since we're not brave enough to get in there, he will push us in. He's pushing the body of Christ over so we do what we couldn't do in our own strength. Yea, though I walk the valley of shadow of death, Jesus pushes us to these places we would never go without his prompting. Bill James taught me he had no designs to go to Africa. It's hard living there. I spent a day and a half just talking about different things. It's very hard. Nobody says, nobody says, I think I want to take a stroll through the valley of death. <laughs> Have you ever heard him say that? I think I just want to take a stroll through the valley of death today. David was not intending to go through the valley of death. He ended up in the valley of death. You might be in a valley of death right now in some phase of your life. Might be Spiritual, might be a spiritual warfare, might be attack, might be just depression, might be something you're dealing with. You didn't want to go through the valley of death, but you find yourself there. But Jesus says, I'll take you through it. We don't know we're there until we're actually in it. We need his help in those situations. He sent the disciples beyond their comfort zone, didn't he? 
They didn't want to go into all these cities two by two. But he says, yea, I am with you. Even to the ends of the earth, I'll never leave you or forsake you. Let's look at the next one. There's 12 here. This is number eight. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. I will fear no evil. Your rod. I'll get to that in a second. I'll fear no evil. Let's take a look at that. John 14, 27. Peace I leave you. My peace I give you. Not as the world gives you, do I give you. Let not your heart be troubled. Neither let it be afraid. Neither let it be afraid. I will fear no evil. This can only come, this God actually dissolving our fears when we find ourselves in these places, it can only be through abiding in Jesus, John chapter 15, through prayer. There's no substitute for prayer. There's no substitute for prayer. Now, unsafe psychiatrists will not say, you need to really invest in your prayer life. They're not going to say that. They are going to bill you another 300 bucks. Jesus says, mine is zero dollars. It does not, I do not charge. You know God does not charge you to pray? In essence, he probably should because if we understood the victories that could come through prayer, he could charge us for it. But he doesn't charge us for it. He says, you can pray to me all you want, no dollar out of your pocket, pray all you want, and I will do miracles in your life. What about the miracle of peace, Lord? Can I just find peace? God says, you start abiding in me. You abide in my word. You start praying. Pray more. Pray throughout the day. Pray while you're driving to work. Pray, not just, we talked about this a couple Wednesday nights. Now, this has been something I've really taken to heart with my family. When we pray over our food, I've emphasized to my wife and girl, let's not just say a prayer to say a prayer. Let's mean it. Thank you for this food. When you have lunch today, and hopefully you have a good Father's Day meal, truly be thankful for it. We could be starving to death, but we're not. So truly be thankful for it, and then say, Lord, use this for me to be strengthened in body, mind, and spirit to serve you better. And by the way, those kind of sincere, sincere prayers in not just little things, but in our uh, relationship and walk with Jesus, they actually start to impart peace in our life. They really do. You say, well, I don't see how praying over my food is related. It is. In the spiritual realm, the things that we do that God says do these things actually impart peace over here when you'd say, well, these two things are totally unrelated, but they're not in the spiritual realm. God says, when you start to actually have gratitude, I'll give peace. It'll overcome fear. It'll overcome doubts. We can eventually as we repeat this and repeat this and believe it in our hearts, say, Lord, I believe this will work. Our peace will grow, it'll grow, it'll grow, it'll grow, and eventually what'll fall away is doubts and fears and discouragement. And they, become, they have less of a bite in our life. Christ is teaching us to find peace anywhere. He says, even in the valley of death, I will fear no evil. This isn't just say, I will fear no annoying person. Evil. Evil's a really strong word, isn't it? This isn't like someone who's just, oh, I wish they would get off their phone. They're talking so loud I can't even hear my own conversation. That's not evil. That's just bad manners, right? 
He says, no, you'll be able to actually be at peace in the middle of an evil place. That's hard to believe. Christ teaching us we can find peace anywhere. We can teach that peace to our children and teach it to others. And notice that this verse is bracketed between the valley of death and hostile territory, which we look at next, which is protection. Number nine, protection. He says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort you. Prepare a table for me in the presence of mine enemies. Protection. Rod and staff, protection in the, in the presence of enemies. 2 Kings 6, 17, it said, and Elisha prayed. And Elisha prayed, and he said, Lord, I pray you open the eyes. He's talking about his servant that was petrified. And the Lord opened his, the eyes of the young man, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and fiery chariots all around. God had showed the prophet Elisha, instead of being annihilated by this massive army, Elisha had learned over the years to pray and pray and pray, and he could be in the presence of certain death. By the way, if the Assyrians got a hold of you, it was not just a simple death. You would be tortured a slow and painful death. That's frightening, right? Literally skinned alive, then impaled, just all kinds of just grotesque things that they would do. So Elisha had learned to pray and to pray and to pray, but the servant was petrified. But then God opened the servant's eyes, and on the mountain he saw an army of the Lord, angels on fire with fiery chariots. And then all of a sudden they're like, we can take these guys. <laughs> We're going to be all right. We're going to be okay. But the spiritual, we only will see the spiritual realm when we invest in the spiritual realm. When we pray, I, I don't see God when I pray to you. I know some of the televangelists do, but I don't. But I know he's there, and I know he lives in my heart, and I have to invest in talking with him that he drives out the fears and all the things that we have. And here's the reality, but a reassuring fact. If God had not protected us and been with us already, we wouldn't even be sitting here right now. You realize that? The only reason we're sitting here is God's actually protected us. So if he's protected us when we weren't even praying, we weren't even seeking, imagine what will happen when we do. Then we'll actually see the armies of God letting us sit down in the presence of our enemies. In Psalm 124, verses 2, 3, Two and three, it says, if the Lord had not been on our side, when men rose, up, men rose up against us, then they would have swallowed us alive. And it's true. God takes our faith and pushes it forward. David, he wasn't saying, I hope I have to kill a lion today. He, the lion comes, he has to react. The spirit comes upon him, he kills a lion. Then a bear. Then he says, oh, I can actually go into the presence of Goliath, and I think the Lord will actually do what I couldn't do for myself a table for us in the presence of our enemies. But understand, though, that God places us in these challenging situations in life that we would represent Christ's likeness. That's the whole thing. Again, it goes back to his glory. Last three. He says here, you anoint my head with oil. We need power, men and ladies, but I'm talking to the dads. Everyone else is along for the ride because the 23rd Psalm speaks to us all, right? But men, fathers, we need power. A.W. Tozer said, we are too busy to pray, so we are too busy to have power. Too busy to pray, so there's not going to be any power in our life. When we pray, 
will have power. That's the anointing. You anoint my head with oil. The anointing was only given to kings, to priests, and to prophets. And God says, I will anoint you. The oil is a picture of what? The Holy Spirit. The anointing of the Holy Spirit comes through a heart of surrender and crying out to God, which is prayer. Humility, then he anoints us with power. I'm not talking about bigger muscles. I'm not talking about a more horsepower in your car. I'm talking about more horsepower spiritually that God will give us an anointing power. Jesus said in Acts 1.8, but you shall receive what? Power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you to be witnesses of me in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and the end of the earth. Again, the job of evangelism too big. The job of being a dad's too big. We need anointing power for the job, and only Christ can anoint us with power. Last two. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. We like this part, don't we? We don't like the, that, that, that valley of death thing. Whew. The first part seems pretty good. Oh, I'm lying down in green grass. Shall I stay there for the rest of my life? God said, nope, you're going to get up and go through a valley of death. Oh. <laughs> you kind of make it through that. And then it's a table in front of your enemies. Oh, this is even better now. Now I'm at a table with my enemies, but then somehow... As we stay close to Jesus, he takes us through these dark, difficult places in life. And he says, amazingly, against all the odds, I'm going to have you flourish. And some of you are not that far away from coming through and God doing things you've never dreamed of him doing for in your life. But he wants you to be fruitful in the valley, at the table of the enemies, while you're sleeping in the ground, I don't know where you're at in the course of the 23rd Psalm. It's almost a metaphor for life. I'm not saying it's a complete metaphor for life, but there's some very similar things. Those of you who live long enough, you can say, I actually see these seasons. I've seen these seasons. By the way, they're not just, they kind of repeat. You can have that season in your 40s, that season in your 50s. That, but you will be fruitful in all of those seasons as you Grow in the Lord. And that's what he says. Surely goodness and mercy follow all the days of my life. All the days of my life, guess what that means? All the days of your life. In the dark times, the difficult times, those valleys, those battles, those struggles, those doubts, those areas of surrender and verses 4 and 5, that's the pruning process. Jesus said, whom uh, abides in me, I prune that they'll bear more fruit. But then comes a fruitfulness. And when God has pruned us enough, oh, then comes power, then comes fruitfulness, then comes a flourishing in our life. 2 Corinthians 9, 8, and God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that you, always having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance of in every good work. How many of you need an abundance in every good work? Well, first of all, you want all your works to be good, and that's when you hunger and thirst for righteousness. But God says, I'll, I'll cause it to flourish. Your kids, your marriage, your family, but all for what? Not that you get the Ferrari. But for his name's sake, for his name's sake, for his name's sake. Brings us to the final thing. And, it, and, there, and in fact, there's no doubt that there is some correlation to the life cycle here because he says, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This, now this is when life comes to an end, right? All of us have an end date. We're working towards laying up treasures where? In heaven. We follow Christ. It's not just in this life, but we follow him right into heaven. And you don't know when that is. 
could be 55, could be 65, could be 95. We follow him right into heaven. And that's the greatest news here is salvation. Yes, salvation is first because we, we have to have a Savior before we can have a shepherd. It's great. It's the greatest news that we have heaven instead of hell. But for shepherds like us, we're called to be shepherds in our family. We need a shepherd to take us through life, don't we, dads? The Lord is my what? Shepherd. If that's true, if he's our shepherd, he will teach us, dads, how to be shepherds, how to walk through life, and how to bring those with us there too. Amen? Let's close in prayer.